We're reading from Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, but... Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I set Artemis or Tychus to you, Do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything that they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith, and grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Carolyn. Morning, everyone. I'm Joel. I'm the minister here at St. Stephen's, and uh, I'm just going to mention a couple of things, and then we'll have a closer look at those words that were just read. Uh, the things I want to mention, uh, there are a few staff members who are away this week. Uh, Jesse, Joel and I are heading to a preacher's conference up in Hastings from Tuesday to Thursday. Uh, it's usually a very encouraging time uh, alongside people in ministry from, from across the country. So please be praying that, that it will be a, a good few days up there. Uh, we will still be available via email if you, if you need to get in touch with us. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that I'll be on, on annual leave from uh, Saturday this, this coming week for, for just over two weeks. Uh, so if there's anything urgent that comes up, uh, please do contact the office. If I don't reply to your emails, don't take it too personally. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll be away, but, um, yeah, anything that comes up, please do feel free to get in touch. We'll, um, we'll pray first, and then we'll take a look at these words. So please join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your goodness and and grace to us, uh, which we've already been reminded of this morning. Uh, Please would you use your grace to transform our lives, uh, even as we we sit here and, and look at these words this morning. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Some of you will know of Jerry Bridges, uh, the man who wrote a series of books on holiness. Uh, the book that shot him to fame was a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. It, it sold well over a million copies, and as a result of it, many people were strongly moved to live in a way that honoured God. But he recognised that, that people would often try and do this in their own strength, and they would end up discouraged when they inevitably failed. And so he wrote another book uh, as a result, uh, and this book was called Transforming Grace which made clear it's, it's the grace of God that allows people to pursue holiness, holy living. Uh, ironically, th- this book was, was far less popular. Uh, I think it sold less than 30% of the copies uh, compared to the, the first book he wrote. Uh, and people seemed far less interested in it. They, they were drawn to a book that made them feel there was something they could do to change. But this wasn't the book that they probably needed the most. And I don't think the world has has changed much in in that sense. And certainly many Christians today fall into a similar trap, trying to change in our own strength. Uh, We want to be godly, so we end up trying harder and end up even more discouraged when we fail. Now, as, as Paul wrote to Titus, he knew this was a risk for the church, particularly as he addressed their current way of life. Uh, Because this was a church that needed wholesale changes. It needed straightening out, as we've seen over the past weeks. And and Paul is aware of this challenge, which is why he reminds them in chapter uh, chapter 3 of how lasting change in the Christian life comes about. He doesn't just tell them to pursue holiness. He also tells them about the transforming grace that allows change. So we'll we'll work our way through the passage in a moment. Uh, First, a, a quick recap. Uh, If you've been with us, you'll remember that that Paul has left Titus on the island of Crete to to straighten out this church, which is very much dislocated. He's given him a number of tasks, uh, and there's uh, there's been a progression through the letter. He started by addressing the need for godly leaders over the church. Then he addressed the need for godliness in the church's interactions with one another. Uh, And this week, he addresses the church's interactions with the world around it. See, not only is there to be order within the church, but Christians are also to display order in the way we interact with people outside the church as well. And you may have noticed in the reading that that some of the things in the passage seemed quite disconnected. Uh, But as we look at it closer, we'll see that God's grace is, is the thing that threads it all together. Now, Paul's first point is Christians are to subject themselves to rulers and authorities. Now look at verses 1 and 2. Paul starts by saying, remind the people, uh, meaning this has probably been an issue for them and, and something they've already heard. This isn't a, a command that's out of the ordinary. Now we know some people had hoped that, that Jesus would, would bring political reform uh, and perhaps they imagined that he would start some sort of political revolution, bring about real change in, in this life. And, and as admir- admirable as that may have been, that wasn't what he came for. Uh, there, is a godliness to, there is a godliness to being subject to the authorities that God has put in place. Uh, and I think the reason Paul addresses this in, in such a matter-of-fact way is because as Christians, we're often very quick to try and find loopholes, looking for, for reasons why it doesn't apply to us. Because if we, if we look hard enough, 
we will always find reasons why we can kind of excuse ourselves from, from obeying a command like this. Uh, we're, told, we're not told to agree with everything authorities over us say and do, but we are told to be obedient and to do what is good. Now, of course, where those authorities are, are calling on people to behave in a clearly sinful manner that goes directly against the word of God, that's a, that's a different story. And that might mean we, we speak out against sin. Where there is clear sin, there are exceptions. But we need to be careful with this, knowing that our hearts are often very quick to, to look for these loopholes and excuse the kind of obedience that Paul calls on here, simply because we, we don't like something. Uh, and I, I see that in my own heart at times. Uh, R.C. Sproul is a, a guy who writes, If magistrates are oppressive, if we disagree radically with them, we are still to render obedience because our consciences are held captive by the word of God. Now, if you're a Christian, these words are for you. Be subject to rulers and authorities. The Credans needed to be uh, reminded of this, and and so do we. Uh, We have teachers, we have bosses, judges, we have councils, we have the police, uh, we have government government officials, and many more authorities who are over us. There will be some things they do that, that we don't agree with. There will be other things that we do agree with. But when we sit under and obey these authorities, uh, provided we're not sinning, then, then we are obeying God who, who put them there. Now in verse 2, I think the scope of, of Paul's application goes, goes a lot wider than, than just authorities. It's now concerned, he's now concerned with all people. Slander no one, be, be peaceable and considerate, showing humility towards all men. And the aim seems to be love. That's why he says, do whatever is good which stands in a direct contrast uh, with what the false teachers have been doing and, and teaching in the earlier chapters. Now, a few uh, practical thoughts on this verse. Uh, Christians are to be quick to do what is good. Uh, and that's something that, that we can all do. When we're interacting with others, wherever we are, look for opportunities to do good. Now, uh, avoiding slander is, is something that's, I think, getting harder and harder in our day and age. In this world, we're where people love to point out the faults and and flaws of others and speak badly of them, Christians are called to be different. So don't don't lower yourself to that level. Uh, It also says, be at peace with non-believers. Be be considerate. Don't unnecessarily antagonise people. Uh, Don't be that person who's always looking for an argument or, or who always has to be right. And do all these things to make the most of gospel opportunities that come your way. Uh, There's a story of a guy named Stan Makita, uh, who was an ice hockey player who was well known for the the fights that he got into uh, during ice hockey games. But one day his eight-year-old daughter asked him, how can you score goals when you're always in the penalty box, Dad? Uh, And and from that point on, he stopped fighting. Uh, And maybe we should consider in a similar way whether our conduct towards outsiders is essentially taking us out of the game. Is it taking away from gospel opportunities that that might otherwise come up? If we burn bridges with non-believers that that don't need to be burned, uh, we're probably missing opportunities to see God's kingdom grow. So our love for one another is as important as Christians, but so is our witness to the world and and our interactions with it. Now, do you see that the stark contrast between the first two verses and verse three? 
Verse 3 is what Paul was was once like, uh, and it's also what many of us were once like. Uh, I'm not going to say too much on these behaviours because they're fairly self-explanatory, but but what I will say is these are the behaviours that are going to cause all sorts of problems in life, in our own lives, in our relationships, in the way we interact with those in authority over us. And it's the kind of behaviour that Satan, I'm sure, loves to see, particularly when he sees people who follow God acting in these kinds of ways. These behaviours shouldn't characterise us as as Christians. But if we're honest, many of us will struggle uh, with some of the behaviours we see there in verse 3 and will actually fail to do the things we see in verses 1 and 2. We see the difference between the life Paul once lived and how he calls the church to live in Crete. But the question is, how how do you get from a verse 3 lifestyle uh, to the kind of lifestyle you see in verses 1 and 2? And it's a, it's a question that I'd love for each one of us to be able to answer confidently, to know what it is that brings, us, uh, brings about this, this lasting, life-altering change. And I'd love for us to know it so that we don't fall into this trap of, of trying to change in our own strength when we know it will fail. Now, the answer to the, the question is there in verses 4 to 7. Uh, we see in these verses, to quote Jerry Bridges, transforming grace. Transforming grace. Uh, There are five key things that these verses tell us about this this transforming grace. The the five things are the who, the when, the why, the how, and the what for. The who, the when, the why, the how, and the what for. Uh, Firstly, the who, and it's a simple one. It's God who is behind this change. Not you, uh, certainly not me. Uh, The next is the when, and we see in verse 4 that that this transforming grace became possible when the kindness and love of our God, uh, of God our Saviour, appeared. Now, the the word for appeared literally means epiphany, the the sudden and incredible revelation, when when Christ appeared as a man, and it signalled this dramatic change, lasting change. Uh, And we see that change in Paul's life and in the lives of many people in the New Testament, uh, and in history. Uh, And we even see it in the lives of of people here this morning. From living for the world to living for God. Uh, Next is the why. Uh, Firstly, because we need saving, because we simply can't save ourselves from our sin. Uh, The why also because of him, not us. Because of him, not us. Have you ever uh, reaped the rewards of of someone else's hard work? Uh, If you have, you'll probably have ended up feeling a little bit sheepish, particularly because you had nothing to contribute. Uh, Imagine for a moment you're you're doing a group assignment with someone else, but they do all the work. Uh, You forget to turn up, you you miss the lectures. Even if you tried, you you wouldn't be able to help because you know nothing about the topic, whereas the other person, they're an expert. And at the end of the the assignment, your, your group gets an A, all because of that other person. You know you've contributed nothing to get the A, but you still get that grade. And it's a little bit like that when we think about why God saves us. The focus isn't on anything that we've done. It's on what God has done. And what he's done, he's acted mercifully towards us. Uh, To be merciful is to treat someone better than they deserve. And isn't that exactly uh, how God acts towards us? Not giving us what we deserve for our sin, and giving us what we don't deserve 
because of Jesus. His mercy is the why. Uh, Next is the how. And and this one uh, is worded a little bit strangely. Uh, It mentions the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Because a Christian is someone whose sins have been washed away. Just as uh, water washes away dirt, so the blood of Christ washes away our sin. We've been washed clean and we've been given new life. Uh, And that's what rebirth and renewal mean. And it's the Holy Spirit that that brings about this miraculous change in us. Jesus uh, said he would send the Spirit and he is at work in us, transforming us to become more and more like him. Now the final question regarding this this transforming grace uh, that brings about lasting changes is the what for. What was the purpose of it? And the answer there is there in verse 7. And simply put, God has saved and transformed us to make us heirs of eternal life. In other words, he's, he's preparing us for eternity with him. Jesus has, has already justified us. Uh, justified meaning he, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin or, or guilt or shame, but rather he sees Jesus' perfection, which, is, which has been credited to us. He's taken on the punishment for our sin, but he's, he's done even more for us. He has made us all heirs. Uh, being an heir can sometimes be full of uncertainty. Uh, Prince Charles, he, he's first in line for the throne, but he's been waiting for about 70 years. Uh, and he, he, may never, he may never become king. He has no idea when he might be called upon. Now, further down the list of royals in line for the throne, uh, the, less, the further down you are, the less chances uh, of actually becoming king or queen. But you see, when, when Jesus makes us heirs, there is a certainty there a confidence of of where our future lies. Uh, We don't know when we'll get there, but we know with with absolute certainty that he will take us there. The one who who started this change in us will one day bring it to completion. Uh, So that's the who, the when, the why, the how, and the what for. That is the grace that transforms us. Uh, Some years ago now, Suzanne Paul was on our, our televisions a lot more, uh, and can anyone remember the famous sort of infomercial catchphrase that she used? Anyone? No? That's good. You don't waste your time on, on daytime TV. Uh, her, the line she often used was, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. And, and I think there was a TV show that, sh- that she was on that, that was called that as well. Uh, she would offer a bargain and then she would often you, offer you even more. Uh, that, that phrase is, is quite fitting when, we, uh, when we're unpacking the wonder of, of verses 4 to 7. But wait, there's more. Uh, and notice it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all playing their unique part to make it happen. The Father, God the Father initiating, God the Son enacting, God the Spirit enabling. Uh, and notice that we contribute absolutely nothing apart from needing to be saved. We couldn't do any of this. That is, that is the kindness and love of God to us. But wait, there's more. Uh, notice the different time frames of this transforming grace. We were justified in the past, uh, we're being called to new life in the present, and we're being prepared for the inheritance that will one day be ours in the future. Past, present, future, which Paul often loves to remind people of. But wait, there's more. Uh, Paul says in verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying. Uh, and it seems to be referring to what he's already said in, in verses 4 to 7. It's all all one sentence, uh, 
If you look at the Greek, our Bibles make it too because we need a breather when we're reading it. But Paul has understood how good a say, uh, has undersold how good a saying it is. Uh, it's a great statement of what God has done for us. Now there aren't many single sentences in the Bible that are as rich as this. And he's shared this saying with them because he knows it will help them when it comes to devoting themselves to doing what is good. When someone shows you this, this undeserved uh, mercy, it's very, very motivating. Uh, and it will no doubt help the credence see why they live, why the way they live is so important. This is the grace that transforms. You've experienced it, says Paul. Continue in it. Be, be changed by it. But realize also that, that not everyone will be changed by it. Uh, that's what we see in verse 9. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Paul says to Titus, there will be some who reject the grace of God. And there's a wisdom in avoiding the kinds of conversations that are based on pure speculation rather than on the th truths of the word. Uh, perhaps hobby horses that, that aren't going to win souls for God's kingdom. Uh, the genealogies that he mentions could well have uh, had a Jewish flavour to them because he's already talked about Jewish myths in, in chapter 1. Uh, these are the kind of arguments that will get Titus nowhere. And he's better off just spending his time elsewhere. But when a person is being divisive, when the grace of God isn't apparent in their lives, Paul says, warn them. Uh, and if they carry on being contentious, warn them again. And if they still won't repent, then Paul says, have nothing to do with them. Uh, and Paul's, Paul's words in verse 10 are very similar to Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus addresses the topic of a, a brother who sins against you. He says, point out the fault, do it again if necessary. Uh, and it is, uh, but if they, don't, if they continue to rebel, if they don't respond, then you reject them. It is to be, uh, and that is to be a last resort. As, a, as in chapter 1, verse 13, the goal is that they would be restored, that they would be sound in the faith. But if these steps fail, Paul reassures Titus, you may be sure that, that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. See, a, a divisive person's actions will condemn them. And so there comes a point where Titus can do no more for them. Uh, and as I said, it's, it's very much a last resort. Now, as we come to the end of the passage, Paul signs off by mentioning a few names, Artemis, Tychicus, and Zenus, who's a, a lawyer, uh, and therefore needs all the help he can get. Uh, and in verse 14, Paul has, Paul has one final charge to Timothy. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. And you'll have noticed that, that phrase, doing what is good, uh, because it's come up throughout the letter. Uh, chapter 1, it was a requirement for a church leader. Chapter 2, Titus was to set an example by doing what is good. Uh, and Jesus redeemed us that we might be a people eager to do what is good. Then in chapter 3 today, verse 1, be ready to do whatever is good. Verse 8, uh, Paul's aim is that believers would devote themselves to doing what is good. And then finally, verse 14. See, that's the sign of transforming grace. It gives us a desire to do what is good. Not of our own strength, but in response to what God has done for us. Out of gratitude to him. Uh, so let me ask you, 
Are you a do-gooder? Are you looking for opportunities to do good? Uh, within the church, sure, but, but also outside of the church, in the workplace, where, where you're studying, when you're out in the world, are you looking for opportunities to show others the grace that you have been shown? As a church, we, we rightly want to focus on uh, being grounded in what the Bible teaches us and, and responding to that. But is that knowledge of, of what God has done for us leading us to do good? Is the grace of God transforming you in a way that is actually bringing about lasting change? Uh, why don't I pray that it would? Please join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your transforming grace. And thank you that we see it so clearly in the person of Jesus. Thank you for uh, the beauty that we see in these verses. And please would you help us as we uh, try and live our lives for you, as we try and respond to some of the things we've heard over the last few weeks through the book of Titus. Father, please would you bring about lasting change in our lives as only you can. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now with grateful and humble hearts. Thankful that you are all-powerful and gracious to forgive us sinners. We know that you will hear us now, and in your perfect will, you will answer as you deem right. We pray for the ongoing situation in Ukraine, and we give thanks for those who are working with the civilians affected, and we pray that the aid needed will reach those who are in need. We pray for the protection of all caught in this war, for their safety.